Okay, let's go to the book of Jonah. And we're going to continue our study there. Jonah chapter 1 again. We've um, begun that study and we covered a number of areas when we're looking at Jonah. We had an overview of his life and the circumstances in our first lesson and showed that God expects complete obedience out of his children and we don't want to leave a legacy of rebellion. We don't want to leave a legacy with our children or anybody else that we didn't fulfill God's will for our lives. And then lesson number two, we dealt with a call that was revealed. God revealed a call. And a call is a very important thing. It is a commission of authority. We discussed that, a commission of authority. When God calls and God commissions, it's an authoritative commission. It is also a call to action. God was calling Jonah to action and to do a job for his glory, and Jonah was rebelling against that. And then there was the communication of agony. Well, what do, you, what do we mean by that? That many times God has to allow heartaches and tears and difficult circumstances in our life to get us where he wants us, where we should be anyway, where we're supposed to be. In Jonah's case, he used a big fish and uh, some trouble in the boat. But we can have sometimes a communication of agony, some problems because we're not doing what God tells us to do. And then we saw a common rebellion, a common rebellion on his part. He made an attempt to flee from God, and that was a desire of his heart to be out of the will of God in that sense. And he had an alternative plan. He went away from God. And it's always interesting that the devil gives us very quickly an alternative to God's will. He'll entice us with something over here to get us out of God's will over here. And so that's exactly what he did. He gave him uh, that opposite direction to go in, and Satan is the one behind that. And then there was an agreement on the fare. It was going to cost him something. He had to pay to get on that boat. And we have to remember, too, that every decision we make, every decision we make, and especially if it's a wrong decision, it has a price to it. There are always consequences to any kind of sin in our lives. The fourth lesson we talked about, a countering rebuke, a countering rebuke. And that came in the form of the blasting of the storm where God begins to judge him and the storm comes, the breaking up of the ship and the fact that um, his resolve and their resolve was in vain. They tried to do everything they could to correct that problem, but it wasn't going to be corrected because it was a problem God had sent. And then he talked about, the, we talked about the burden of sin. And here's uh, Jonah, believe it or not, when that storm hits and God's judgment is being poured out, he's asleep in the boat. And sometimes if we're not careful, we just are not sensitive like we should be to what God is saying to us in our lives. And then, Lesson 5, people read our lives. And uh, one of the sad things is 
that uh, there had to be a chastisement of revival in his life so that he wouldn't hurt the cause of Christ so much. And we have to think about those things. Section 1, these first five lessons had to do with the sovereign call of God, God being an authority, God's sovereign call. In the next section, we're going to talk about God is a God of the second chance. And I'm glad he is a God of the second chance. A sovereign call and the second chance. So today we want to look at the plan of Jehovah. One verse, primarily, verse 17, chapter 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That whole verse is very significant. We ought to be thankful for divine intervention in our lives. That God is sovereign and God rules over everything and God can step in when He wants to in our lives in His divine intervention, His sovereign plan. And that's exactly what happened to us when we got saved. We were lost, we were on our way to hell, and God, by His divine, precious intervention, dealt with us and spoke to our hearts and saved our souls. Jeremiah reminds us of God doing that, 31.3. Jeremiah said, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore... With loving kindness have I drawn thee. God does the drawing. The Holy Spirit does the drawing. And Jesus emphasized the very same thing in John 6, 44. And he said it this way, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. There's a divine intervention in our lives. The night I got saved, I was a nine-year-old boy sitting back about four or five pews in a little country church. The back of it wasn't much further than where Brother Mackey's sitting right there. And uh, I uh, felt and sensed the Spirit of God dealing with me about my sin. And when they gave the invitation, I popped out in that aisle. My daddy was sitting up on the front. My mother was home sick. And I'd gotten away from daddy and sat with my buddy that night. But boy, when the Spirit of God got a hold of my heart, I went forward. I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's no glory to me. It's all the glory of God. Except the Spirit draw a man, that man can't come to the Lord. And so he drew me, and he has drawn, drawn you too. If you're saved today, that's happened. Proverbs talks about a simple man. A simple man. And when you define simplicity or that word, it means space or room. And it implies that a simple man still has space and room. He hadn't made up his mind, or she hadn't made up her mind. And that's where he was. He was sort of a, a simple man. But I'm glad God still loves us, even when we're making wrong decisions, and we're, we're not really decisive like we should be for God. God is patient with us, and I sure am glad that he is. But here's the thing. God has a plan for my life and for your life. God has some things He wants us to do. Most of it is revealed in His Word. There are some other sovereign things that, that are carried out just because of God's sovereignty. Listen to what the psalmist said, Psalm 116, 6 through 9. The Lord preserveth the simple. I sure am glad that's in the Bible, aren't you? 
because all of us are sort of simple-minded sometimes. My daddy used to get, when he'd get mad at the kids, he'd say, well, you little simpleton. And I kept wondering, well, what does that mean? I knew it wasn't good, you know, but I finally figured out one day what he meant when he said, you little simpleton. It meant you're not thinking right. You need to think right. And why did you do that? But the Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The Lord preserveth the simple. I sure am glad he does. And there, there are always those times in our lives that we take that line of thinking, a simplistic way of thinking. And Jonah was a simple man who was in desperate need, and what he really needed was a second chance. He needed God to give him a second chance. And so we look, first of all, today at divine preparation, a divine preparation. Now look at it again in the first part of verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. Divine preparation. The Lord prepared had prepared a great fish. Isn't it great that God is always a step ahead of us? He's always out in front of us. He's always ahead of us. He knows what's going to happen. And I'm glad that He is. The psalmist again said in chapter 40, verse 17, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. The Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. In other words, God is watching over us. God knows when we are in need, and He's looking over us. Isaiah said, And it shall come to pass, this is talking about the sovereignty of God, it shall come to pass that before they call, before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. That's pretty good. I'm not a hyper-Calvinist, so I don't get that idea, but God is sovereign. And God is out in front of us. God knows where we're going. God knows what we need. God knows that if we need a big fish, He can prepare it and have it ready and have it swimming in the ocean for us. God's able to do that. And so it's divine preparation. God's plan is predetermined. God's plan is predetermined. As a matter of fact, God had some real plans for you in your birth and in your life after birth. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that. And we look at Psalm 139. I'm going to read a few verses here. Verses 13 through 17. Psalm 139. And the Bible says here, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Now get that. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee. And if you don't like your looks today, your, your, uh, if you don't like your genetical makeup, you're arguing with God. Because listen to it. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Who do you praise? God. Praise God for your nose, whether you like it or not. Amen? Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I will praise thee. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee 
when I was made in secret, talking about the intimate relationship, talking about the, the sperm and the egg and all of that, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, by the way, this is a good verse against abortion. And in my book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! God is marvelously wonderful, and he designed us in our mother's womb. And he had a plan for us even there. And uh, the reason I look like I look is genetical, but it's because that's the way God made me. And that's the way God formed me in my mother's womb genetically. And here I am today. We may not always see how God is working in our lives. We may not see that he's doing something all along. Whether we see it or not, it's true that God is working in our lives, even if we're not aware of God's presence. But the good thing is He never abandons His children. He's always working in our lives. He never abandons us if we're truly His children. If we've been born again, He's just not going to do that. Job 23, 8 through 10. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. We don't see him here, there, back there, over there. We don't always see what he's doing or see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God knows, and God's working in our lives. And so God's plan is predetermined, and then God's plan is predominant. It is predominant. Why don't we trust God's plan for our lives like we should? We panic when things happen and we don't understand. But that's God's permissive plan in our lives. And God has a plan. And we have to... Trust his plan. Has God ever really failed you? I think you'd say, no, he never has. Has God ever been unfaithful to you? No, and he never will. So if we know he's never failed us and we know he's never been unfaithful, then we can trust him about our future. And again, the psalmist reminds us of a principle in Psalm 37, verses 23 through 25. He says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Did you get that? The steps of a good person, not just the masculine, but the steps of a good man, the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. God orders our steps, he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him. With his hand. I have been young and now am old. Most of us in this class can say that, can't we? Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Psalm 37, 23, follow. You see, God is there for us, and God is always faithful to us, and he was to Jonah. 
even though Jonah stepped outside of God's will. Here's what God wants in my life and your life. He desires to be number one. He wants to be the preeminent person in your life and my life. Not your mate, not your children, not your grandchildren, not the pastor, not anybody else. God wants to be preeminent number one in your life and in my life. No exceptions, no excuses. He wants to be number one. Now, if God is number one in our life, listen now, this is good. <clears throat> Not because I'm saying, but because it's true. If God is number one in our lives, then God can tell us that we have no reason to worry. And some of you came in this building today worried about things. I know you did. And we, we worry. That's human nature. But listen to what God says. God's desire in all things he might have the preeminence. Colossians 1.18. That's what he wants, preeminence. But then he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33. And he talks about a wonderful bunch and package of good things just before that. And he says, do this, live right, seek God, do His will, and God will take care of all these things in your life. You don't have to go around worrying all the time. You don't have to pop pills. You don't have to chew your fingernails off. You don't have to get headaches over worry. You don't have to fret over the future, uh, whether it's going to be a nursing home or whether you're going to die suddenly or what's going to happen to your mate and when. You just leave it in God's hands. He can handle it, can't He? He can handle all of it. And he doesn't make any mistakes, and he doesn't allow any mistakes in our lives. So if he's number one, you don't have any worries today. And we pray for our loved ones, and we get concerned, but God doesn't want us to be upset and rob our joy and us be fretful and all of that. That's not, that's not the way God wants us to live. So we have a divine preparation, and secondly, a dutiful pliability. There's two abilities God likes. One is availability, and another one is pliability, that we are like putty in his hands and he can fashion us the way he wants to. But here's the pliability of a great fish. That fish had to conform to the will of God. Amen? The fish had to do what God told him to do. Normally in a storm, the whale or big fish would go down deep in the water and get away from all the lightning and the storm and all of that. But not this one. He's up at the top of the water, so when that backslidden Baptist got thrown out of the boat, he was there where God wanted him. God was in control of this great fish. And he said in Psalm 119.91, All are thy servants. There's not a thing out there that God has made but what God can use it and make it his servant if he wants to. And any of those things. And... We have an omnipotent coincidence, we would call it. In verse 17, the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Well, this was just a coincidence, right? Here comes a whale. Here comes a big fish. Just happened to be swimming that day. Just happened to be on top of the water. Just happened to be near that boat. Just happened to swallow that man. Just happened. By the way, I believe it happened just like the Bible said it happened. It's not, it's not a story that God made up 
so that we might get a little lesson from it. It really happened. It happened to a man by the name of Jonah. It really happened to him. And so uh, we know that there are no real, really coincidences in those things. Job 14:16 says, For now thou numberest my steps. Numberest my steps. Dost thou not watch over my sin? He numbers our steps. He watches over our sin. Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? God's not ignorant of what we're up to and where we're going and what's going on. And he knew where he knew exactly where Jonah was and what was wrong with him and what, how he was going to get him straightened out. And so he worked in that way. No coincidence. There was no coincidence that a boy showed up with a sling one time and killed a giant. There was no coincidence that there was another little boy that had, had a few loaves and some fishes that happened to be there that God wanted to use to feed the 5,000 on different occasions, different number, but we know that this is not an accidental timing. The omnipotent coincidence and then an obedient creation. Again, listen to what Job says in 12, 7 through 10. Job 12, 7 through 10. But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee. And the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing, the breath of life, and the breath of all mankind. It's all in God's hand. And God can control every last bit of that. And so most of creation, most of creation obeys God. You know the one that he has the most problem with? Man. Mankind. We're the ones that are more apt to rebel and struggle with the will of God. Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times. How many of you were told that a stork brought a baby? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah, some of you remember those days. And uh, that's what my mama told me. And... Uh, uh, I guess she was just being discreet. I don't know that she was lying, but anyway, you know, where do babies come from? Oh, the stork brings it, you know, and I kept watching for big birds, but at any rate. And then the other one was uh, when the calf had just been born, it was moist, you know, and wet, and you had asked questions about it, and my mother said, well, the cow just rolled a log over and found it under that wet log. I said, okay, that's fine enough for a, a boy eight, nine years old. But anyway... We know that sometimes we struggle with the will of God, but God's in charge of these things. And so, yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord, Jeremiah 8, 7. He said the animals sometimes have better sense than we do. We rebel against God. They know they have their path. They know where they're going. They know what they're doing. What God wants out of us is obedience. One time in Boston, Mark Twain, as he was traveling, met this businessman who was very arrogant, very proud, and uh, was teaching everybody, you can do anything you want to do. And he made this statement. He said, before I die, I mean to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I'm going to climb Mount Sinai. 
And when I'm up there, I'm going to read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top of my voice. Mark Twain responded this way when he, after he heard this arrogant man talk. He was very unimpressed. And he said, I got a better idea. Stay in Boston and keep them. You get it? The Ten Commandments. I got a better idea. Don't just go up on top of Mount Sinai and read them. Anybody can read the Ten Commandments. But Mark Twain told him, he said, I got a better idea. Stay in Boston and keep the Ten Commandments. And that's what God wants us to do. And then thirdly, very quickly, in two minutes, maybe, a distinct prophecy. A distinct prophecy. And he was in the belly of the fish. How long? Three days and three nights. That's accidental too, right? No, that's prophetical. And it was an ironic typology of Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so there are a lot more, we could, a lot more things we could say about that. But we know that Jonah's disobedience showed the grace of God, and Jesus' obedience is the thing that saves our soul. And Jesus referred to that, Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so we had the Passover lamb in the Old Testament. We had the serpent, the brazen serpent, that was a type of Christ, whoever looks and will live, and the blood atonement and all of that. And so we have that uh, typifying. And so the devil thought that he had defeated Jonah, and he thought he had defeated Jesus. But thank God, because of God's grace, he didn't defeat either one of them. And Jonah came through in the will of God. Mark 10:33. Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, shall deliver him to the Gentiles, they shall mock him, scourge him, and spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. How many of you believe he arose? Say amen. Amen. Because the Bible said he was, and he did. Satan thought he had it and defeated, but he got whipped on both occasions. If you're defeated in the least today, what you need to do is remember that any area of your life, if you'll go to God and confess it, God will give you the second chance. And I might add third chance and fourth chance. That doesn't mean we go out and sin because we're saved by grace not what it means, but we all know that there are those times we fail, and we confess it to God, and God says, I forgive you. Let's restore the fellowship. You don't lose your salvation. You lose the fellowship, and when we confess it, he restores it, and we go on about God's will. It may take some harsh stuff to bring us there. Hopefully it won't, but God help us that we might see his hand in our lives. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now you would go with us into the morning service. We pray that you would be glorified, souls would be saved. In Christ's name, amen.